This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news, and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. We know from the Mueller report how skillfully a gang of operatives in St. Petersburg, Russia, played made-in-USA social media to swing the election of a president of the United States after practicing their craft in Estonia, the Netherlands, France, and the Brexit vote in Britain. Now the Chinese are trying their hand, and the Iranians, and the Egyptians, and above all, some 400-pound guy sitting on his bed in the middle of America. I'm Irv Chapman, a longtime member of the National Press Club. On this edition of Update One, I'll be talking with Paul Barrett, a career journalist who spent 18 years at the Wall Street Journal, 12 years at Bloomberg Business Week. He's now adjunct professor and deputy director of the Stern Center for Business and Human Rights at New York University, which put out a series of reports on disinformation on the Internet, the latest including ideas on how the creators of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp can better combat the manipulation of their social media to spread lies. Paul, first about the Russians. Mueller told us they're still at it, but you seem to suggest they were lying low in the U.S. election last year. What do you think they're up to in the run-up to 2020? Part of what's uh, a little daunting about 2020, of course, is that we don't know exactly what the Russians are going to be up to. You're entirely right that... uh, the amount of disinformation surrounding the 2018 midterms was negligible. I think the best guess coming from experts is that the Russians were just laying low, keeping their powder dry, so to speak, uh, waiting for the much more consequential presidential race in 2020. There's one other factor as well. We don't know exactly how it plays, uh, but uh, the uh, U.S. Cyber Command, a part of the military that deals with uh, online uh, combat, uh, apparently was successful in taking uh, the Russian operatives offline for a few days uh, surrounding uh, the November 2018 midterm election day. How much of the election disinformation has been aimed at discouraging some groups of people from voting altogether? Voter suppression uh, disinformation is one of the major themes of the overall problem. And uh, it's a good example to bring up because there was a fair amount uh, of voter suppression activity on Twitter in in connection with the 2018 election. And uh, a lot of that kind of uh, activity uh, consists of uh, telling people uh, things like uh, this year for the first time you are allowed to vote um, by by messaging, by text. Uh, Or uh, this year, rather than being on Tuesday, uh, polling will be on Wednesday. Uh, And those seemingly small, uh, inconsequential pieces of advice can, of course, confuse people and and end up uh, resulting in their not uh, not not voting. The Chinese raised their great firewall to keep Facebook and the others out of their country. Yet haven't they been using those same media lately in their battle against democracy in Hong Kong? They have. Twitter uh, and Facebook announced uh, that uh, they had uh, taken down a large number, uh, something approaching a thousand accounts and pages that the Chinese had used in some cases with uh, English language activity uh, to try to sow division uh, among the protesters in Hong Kong. And the fact that the Chinese were uh, signing up for Facebook and Twitter accounts and uh, pretending to be uh, Americans in some cases 
uh, suggests that they may be getting ready uh, to try the same thing directly here in the U.S. It, it, uh, it bears uh, emphasizing as well that uh, Taiwan has uh, elections in 2020, uh, as the U.S. does. And I think it's uh, a, a pretty sure bet that the Chinese will be involved there. What can you tell us about other state sponsors of disinformation? Well, the Iranians have uh, made their presence known uh, in the U.S. Uh, they have been for several years uh, undertaking a cyber attacks uh, aimed at computer systems of uh, hospitals, government agencies, and the like. More recently, they have tried information operations where they uh, disguise themselves as Americans, in some cases even as American politicians, pretending to be real-life American politicians, tweeting. They have been active both on the left and the right, pushing sort of clashing positions, which illustrates that they're uh, imitating the uh, playbook uh, of the Russians. And I think uh, given the degree of tension between Tehran and Washington, it's a pretty good bet that the Iranians will at least be experimenting in 2020, if not uh, launching an all-out uh, information operation. How much of the junk information that gets circulated to Americans on the Internet is in fact created by our fellow Americans? Yeah, that's an important point. In terms of sheer volume, uh, more uh, disinformation is created and disseminated um, by Americans. We're, in a sense, doing this to ourselves. And that takes a, a very wide variety of forms, some of it bubbling up from anonymous message boards uh, like 4chan uh, or parts of uh, Reddit, uh, other material originating with uh, uh, quasi-news uh, sources like Breitbart, finding, and all of this can find its way uh, to, uh, to Twitter and, and Facebook, and often it's then amplified, um, if it's on the right, uh, by Fox News. Um, so there is a, a great deal of uh, this material uh, sloshing around uh, that has its origins here in the United States. What about companies that are springing up to create fake information for anyone willing to pay them? Yeah, this is a, a relatively uh, new phenomenon, not the existence, of course, of political consulting uh, or image polishing uh, companies, but the fact that they might be offering as one of their lines of service uh, uh, pr the provision of disinformation. And the most interesting cases uh, that have surfaced so far uh, actually have uh, involved Israeli-based uh, companies, um, populated uh, presumably by people who were involved with intelligence uh, in the military. Uh, one such case uh, was uh, flagged by Facebook. It involved uh, a company called Archimedes, which was not targeting the U.S., but was running uh, disinformation campaigns related to political races all across Africa and in Latin America and Southeast Asia, a, a really sprawling effort. And uh, Facebook got onto it. And, and shut it down, uh, but it provides a potential model for what might happen uh, in 2020. Well, as you said, the social media companies say they take down fake accounts by the billion, billion with a B. That suggests that the uh, quantity of disinformation in disguise is enormous, isn't it? It is. Uh, the companies, Facebook, Twitter uh, in, in particular, have gotten more uh, aggressive, more vigorous in their uh, ability to detect and take down fake accounts. And you're, you're absolutely right that Facebook does take them down by the billion. In many cases, th these are accounts that never really get off the ground. They are detected um, right as they are created. 
But the fact that they seem to be getting better at that function, as you, as you suggest, may only indicate uh, the huge volume of, of phony uh, accounts and phony actors uh, who are out there uh, spreading this kind of stuff. The latest techno threat seems to be manipulated video, so-called deep fakes. Could they be worse even than a hacked document dump on the eve of elections? I think they could. Uh, I I think uh, for the simple reason that a convincing fake video is something that people might find more believable. They might say, I I can see this with my own eyes. I don't have to read through complicated uh, text or decide whether to take uh, uh, text as credible. I can see the, the images here. And deep fake video is that which has been created with artificial intelligence, and it's kind of a new generation of image manipulation, uh, the kind of thing that Hollywood has been doing for some time, but at tremendous expense and with uh, great expertise. And now with the improvement and dissemination of artificial intelligence, uh, more uh, a wider array of people uh, might be able to do this uh, in, in a political context. And I think the, uh, the main concern is exactly as you suggested, that on the eve of the election, if uh, a candidate is portrayed as saying something or doing something they never said or did, uh, there may not be time uh, to correct the record. Um, And uh, in that way, uh, deep fake video could have a tremendous effect. Does that mean that, uh, say, the uh, Democratic debate of the other night, uh, somebody clever could take uh, Joe Biden's words and put them in Bernie Sanders' mouth and vice versa? Yes, that would be uh, feasible with the uh, type of uh, technology that exists now. You can basically take uh, the the target uh, image, uh, the the person who you're going to portray in the phony video, and then an actor um, can uh, ventriloquize uh, a fake uh, uh, conversation or debate uh, or uh, a, a speech and uh, make it look and the, the final video will look like uh, your, your target is giving the speech one that they, they never actually uh, delivered. A, a very crude version of this um, got attention uh, back in May uh, when a video of Nancy Pelosi got some circulation uh, on social media. Uh, that was not a deep fake video. Artificial intelligence was not uh, involved. It was simply uh, uh, a manipulation that involved slowing the video down in such a way that it made uh, Speaker Pelosi appear to be inebriated while she was delivering some public remarks. This was identified over the course of a, of a couple of days as being a, uh, a fraud, um, but it took a little while to happen. And uh, for interesting and strange reasons, uh, Facebook ultimately declined to uh, take that video down, even though everyone uh, came to the conclusion that it was false. Well, that uh, gets us to the remedy that you suggest first and foremost, which seems to be getting the social media to remove provably false content and do it quickly. Why have they been reluctant to go that far? They're reluctant because, uh, in, in their own words, they don't want to be seen as arbiters of the truth. They don't want to have the responsibility of sorting out true from false. The problem is that in their line of work and given the... Uh, uh, tendency of bad actors to try to distort and misuse social media tools, they are inevitably forced into the role of taking down all kinds of categories of harmful content, whether it's uh, hate speech or bullying uh, or child pornography, uh, what have you. There's a whole list of those things. 
in, in addition, they are already, in, in their words, downranking, meaning making uh, less prominent on their sites uh, in, uh, content that they deem false. Uh, but they do not remove it altogether um, out of this anxiety they have about not being seen as uh, making those kinds of decisions. Uh, it's my contention, the contention of my center, that they ought to just go ahead and and take it down, uh, preserving a copy of the content in in question in a cordoned off uh, archive that people could could look at, but not further share and disseminate. Um, I, I think there are. Uh, pieces of content that really are of no value, they're, they're not contributing to the marketplace of ideas um, and can be uh, removed. This could be a contention um, such as the one that, uh, you know, the, the Pope had endorsed uh, uh, Donald Trump for president or uh, President Obama was born in Kenya or the Holocaust uh, never happened. Um, contentions like that, I think, uh, are at this point, uh, in, intended to cause confusion and uh, sow discord, and I, I think it would be wise to simply remove them. Instagram and WhatsApp have come to the fair uh, to the fore since the 2016 election. Starred Facebook and Twitter. What do these guys have to do? They need to, uh, in the case of Instagram, uh, you, uh, install uh, the policies and procedures that are already in place on Facebook. Uh, at Instagram to make it easier to remove questionable material. Instagram, I, I should emphasize, is owned by Facebook, as as is WhatsApp. Um, on WhatsApp, uh, which was uh, the site of a tremendous amount of disinformation in the recent Brazilian and Indian uh, elections, uh, the uh, Facebook, which has been moving in this direction, um, needs to further restrict the degree to which uh, users can forward information to a large number of groups of people, which has been a mechanism that uh, WhatsApp users in Brazil and India have used uh, to spread uh, false and uh, demeaning and confusing information. The Europeans seem to think there's a role for government, but Americans are leery of censorship and partisanship and a president who tweets. And where do you come down? The distinction you make is absolutely correct. The Europeans, uh, particularly Germany, uh, France, and, and some other countries, have moved um, rather aggressively toward trying to uh, regulate uh, content, specifically hate speech and what they, some, they refer to as fake news, uh, under the, the notion uh, that uh, certain types of communication have no value. Uh, this is uh, an illustration of, a, of different... Uh, sets of values uh, in Europe versus uh, the United States. There n- is no uh, provision in France or Germany uh, similar to the First Amendment that protects uh, speech against government uh, regulation. Um, and as a result, uh, in this country, it would be uh, in all likelihood unconstitutional for Congress to try to restrict the kind of content that appeared on the social media platforms. Um, that's just not the case uh, in Europe. And there are different histories and different uh, cultural norms. Germany, for example, uh, has all kinds of hate speech uh, restrictions and restrictions on references to uh, Nazism um, that grow out of the, the terrible uh, 20th century history uh, of Germany. Uh, so 
you know, different, uh, different approaches for, for different cultures. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. Um, but I do think it would be a mistake for the U.S. Congress to try to move uh, uh, following suit uh, of the, uh, the European countries. Well, finally, do you have any, any further recommendations? The final recommendation I would offer would be to uh, users. In the end, it, it is uh, a shared responsibility between users and the uh, owners and operators of these social media platforms uh, to be wary and skeptical uh, of, uh, of disinformation. So I think users have to, have to look at what they uh, uh, encounter online with uh, a fair degree of skepticism with the understanding that what they see or read may be false. And if it is, uh, that they should, uh, rather than share it, uh, they should flag it for uh, the, pl- the platform operators uh, in hopes that it might be uh, restricted. Uh, so I think that would be my, my advice. And tell their children. On this edition of Update One, we've been talking with Paul Barrett, a career journalist with the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg Businessweek, now adjunct professor and deputy director of the Stern Center for Business and Human Rights at New York University. I'm Irv Chapman at the National Press Club in Washington. Thank you. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.